Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Self-employed Oregonians are facing a very difficult scenario. The Paycheck Protection Program initiated by the government applies mainly to businesses with multiple employees, leaving independent workers in the dark, and the Oregon Employment Department is so backlogged that unemployment claims are extremely difficult to process at a timely fashion. Today on the Spent the Rent Podcast, we are joined by Taylor Jones as we discuss the self-employed in a shutdown. to the Spent the Rent podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is a dear friend of the podcast, Taylor Jones. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. I want to give a quick shout out before we get started to my title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, OregonCashflowPro.com. Free money management advice, which during the shutdown has been amazing. Some of the stuff he's dropping out, he'll give information that I could give, but he's doing it way more thoroughly, like about what to do if you're unemployed and, and self-employed and suffering to you know navigate the unemployment stuff. So that's what I was going to have you on today to talk about, Taylor, is what to do as a self-employed person who is either underemployed or unemployed because of this, because it's basically putting a damper on our ability to work face-to-face. So why don't you tell yeah. us a little bit about what you do? I am an independent marketing consultant for indoor media uh, in their cartvertising division. We, I solicit local businesses to advertise their brand uh, in the supermarket on the shopping carts, nine inches in front of the customer's knuckles. One of the cool things about this gig is that I've been a small business owner. I've struggled to get, um, good local exposure, finding a good avenue to find new clients. And uh, most local businesses cannot afford what it takes to buy billboards or TV radio, uh, TV advertising. Uh, so what we do is we, you know, supermarkets are running 25 to 45,000 transactions a week. And if I can put you, if I put spent the rent podcast in front of the same family 200 to 300 times a year, uh, everybody would remember you. Right. The name recognition for sure. Yes. Yeah. So, and I'd imagine right now, I mean, there's the grocery store is one of the few places that people can actually go. So, yeah. so that is probably not the part that's hurting your revenue. It's the certainty of future business. So for like, for my business being a barbershop, we, are pretty confident that we're going to survive this, but depending on how long this continues, that gets to be a little bit more questionable. 
Yeah. So I'm sure business owners are definitely scared and, and, and also the, the way that you do your sales is face to face. And so you're having to do a lot of it remotely and that's, you don't get the same connection that way. Yeah. When I, I need to build rapport with people quickly, we just target one call closes. I, I, I sell maybe half of my clients. I sign up after, uh, two or three interactions, but, um, the rest of them it's, I call them, I meet them and I sign them. Uh, and it's easier to do in person because I can build rapport. I can, I can see where they're at and I can effectively share with them what it is we're doing and what it is we're not doing. Uh, what this definitely is and what this definitely isn't is way easier to translate. And when I'm doing a zoom call or doing a presentation on the phone where I'm guiding them through a website, um, I don't know that I have their attention. And it's easier to put somebody off and disregard something somebody has said over the phone than in person when we're sitting face-to-face having a conversation. Right. So now in this situation, the last couple of weeks, you wouldn't call yourself unemployed then. I mean, you've been working, but you're just not basically- I was working all morning. All morning I was grinding. (laughs) See, that's the difficult thing for the loss of income for someone like you or someone like myself where we're self-employed is the classification, you know? So there's a few things that I wanted to talk about today to give people some information that is really important. Uh, There's a new thing rolling out through the Oregon employment department. And first of all, if if you're listening to this, you should go to the Oregon employment department, Facebook page, and the link will be in the show notes. And then also, and this is whether you're self-employed or or if you're uh, somebody that gets, you know, W2 or W4, whatever, and, and is a normal employee, go and you're trying to get on unemployment, follow them on Facebook. They're giving daily updates and sometimes multiple times a day. And there's new information rolling out for self-employed. There's a new program called the, the PUA, the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance. And so as of right now, I do not believe that anybody that's self-employed has received any benefits because they're still trying to work out the kinks for the programming for the website. And we'll see my confidence... Yeah, but- Go ahead. People should apply anyways, because if yeah. you want your money backdated, that money is already that by law, federal law, that money is already appropriated to us, but you have to apply for it. Exactly. And so I, I also encourage, like I said before, anybody listening to this to go check out OregonCashflowPro.com. He'll have in-depth detail on all of this kind of stuff. That's kind of his wheelhouse. So this is a perfect time to plug our, our sponsor. Um, but yeah, the, they're... They've, what they've said to do is to file your claim and then every Sunday file your weekly uh, you know, work report or whatnot. You don't have to look for work. There's a way that you can answer the questions. There's videos for you to watch. There's a, there's a box that you check that says that you're furloughed and that you plan to go back to work to the same place. So you're basically laid off even though you're self-employed, which makes a little bit more sense for someone like myself in a barbershop. Your situation though is just a straight loss of income. So the difficult thing is that you have to get somebody on the phone to explain yourself so that they can use human, you know, judgment to decide they're like, okay, that's valid, which it is, you know, I mean, you, I'm sure that you'll get it. It's just a matter of time. (coughs) I'm still getting it. It's just fewer and farther between right now. Right. You know, the stimulus checks did go out. And if you got it direct deposited, the one 
downside to getting it early was that you didn't get it signed by Donald J. Trump himself because oh. now I know it's a big letdown. I got mine and it didn't show, but in my, uh, it, it, for somebody that hadn't set up direct deposit because they hadn't paid for their taxes through like TurboTax or H and R block or one of those. So they didn't have direct deposit set up. They, are now going to receive a paper check but donald trump did what he halted the presses and he said wait don't print those yet i want my signature to be on them before they go out so he's delaying it which is insanity (laughs) oh what kind of egomaniac yeah i mean definitely i i don't know there's it never ceases to amaze me and it's affecting you know, I, I hate to generalize. You know, that's, that's why he's been famous, though, because he focused. I mean, look, he was, shit, he was shitty at business. He was shitty as a real estate developer. He was failure after failure. But where he has succeeded is building a brand, the Trump brand. Uh, and that, that's all he's done. Build the brand. Put the name on stuff. Get people to pay you to put the name on stuff. Right. Well, it's pretty shitty when, it's, when the brand is representing our entire country. And that it's one thing when he's on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with Robin Leach, <laughs> you know, when we're kids and yeah. he's talking, talking about how he want, he can't wait to see when his baby grows up to see if she's going to have her mother's legs, <laughs> you know? I oh mean, my gosh. Yeah. And, and, and this isn't me bad mouthing him because I'm biased. I mean, this is eye test kind of stuff. I mean, this is a sleazeball by definition and that's not an opinion. That's a damn fact. <laughs> when he went just after just after he was elected when we were go when they were doing the um travel ban back in what 20 uh 2017 right 20, i mean it was quick anyways, so yeah 2017 i was I, I, I was uh flying to new zealand with a buddy of mine to look at some business prospects over there um and there was like protests at the airport the la airport uh or the San Francisco airport when we were there. And it was like scary. Are we going to be able to get back in our, our flights going to be. And, and then when we were in uh, New Zealand, there was a bunch of people from Canada that, and I ended up talking to in uh, different situations. And it that was the only thing they wanted to talk to me about was Trump. What I thought about this thing and how this actually happened. Like, how did that happen to you guys? Right. So that was, and it's funny that I get right into that because that is not my intent is to make this just a a bash on Trump conversation. But you know, the big thing that people are, are sitting at home, executive order to stay at home by the government, by the state, you know, but, um, so it's difficult, it's difficult to know where to point the blame. I know there's a lot of people that are really irritated with Kate Brown on a local level because they feel like she's the one making the decision you know, now and Trump is pushing to get us to open back up. And it's like, is that the right timing? I mean, this whole situation is just so bizarre. So I don't want to focus too much on where to point blame because that's, we could be here forever. I want to focus on where people can find some assistance and find some help, at least in the beginning of this conversation. And then you and I are going to talk a little bit about the democratic primary, but I do want to stress again, the best information that I have found is if you go on the Oregon Employment Department's Facebook page, the link is in the show notes of this episode, or if you go to the uh, Oregon Employment Department's website and there's a way to subscribe to their daily email uh, updates, and that is rolling out 
really valuable information every day, sometimes multiple times a day. And, and so that's, you know, the one thing that I definitely recommend because like you said, people will get the unemployment. It's just backlogged. I think what's going to happen is hopefully we go back to work and then we get paid back retroactively. But I don't know. I mean, the end of the shutdown is not, there's no end in sight. When do you predict? When do I predict what? That will open back up. I saw something today um, about salons. There's a petition going around and everyone got all excited. And they're like, oh, soft opening on April 27th, which is not true. It's a petition going around saying that they want to see salons be able to open to one customer per at a time which doesn't really help someone like me because we have four barbers in tight quarters and we're walking shop, but people got really excited. And I'm like, well, what is a petition even going to do? Because at this point that goes to the governor or whoever. And then they say, okay, so you know, how many people live in Oregon? Like 1.7 million or 2 million people. So the 2 million people that live in Oregon are all want to go back to work. And then they're going to be like, well, the CDC says no, <laughs> you know? So like, I don't know what a petition is going to change that people's desire is to go back to work. Listen, uh, Kate Brown knows how people feel about her and she knows the resistance she gets from most of Oregon. Uh, there's been a flush Kate Brown, flush down Brown, uh, recall Kate Brown uh, petitions and uh, activism for years now, right? Sure. Uh, so a petition isn't really going to do anything. It's no, going to make gonna people that sign the petition feel better, like they did something, but it's not, it's like, I'm building a house, so I decided to have a glass of water. Wow, I really got better at that. No, it didn't have any impact. Right. And I'm not saying that the people's concerns in some cases aren't valid. You know, I mean, the shitty thing is, is that I don't, I'm not super well-versed on this, but the whole situation where uh, people with long haul trucks were going to Salem to protest and whatnot. I had talked to a friend of mine who works uh, in the Capitol building. He was working in the Capitol building, working for a state representative. And he said that he was meeting with, uh, he's a very liberal guy and he was working for more of a, of a left leaning candidate or uh, politician, but he was meeting out front with people that are more conservative truck drivers, whatnot. And he was talking to them about kind of making concessions. Well, it sounds like something actually passed and then the media doesn't cover it because once they actually worked together to kind of make compromise, then they're like, oh crap, well, there's no story in that. You know, and so it's difficult because the flush, flush, flush it down Kate Brown stuff, I'm not agreeing with their sentiment, but I will say that one of the biggest missteps we've ever, anybody's made in this country politically is not listening to anyone. Yeah. 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 You know, not listening to your opposition, not actually taking a, open-minded view of where they're coming from that's what gets us in the most trouble that's why that's one of the reasons why our politics have become so polarized right and, and there's and really kate brown the most of the opposition from kate brown has come uh from false narratives about gun control measures that right. have been promulgated through the less intelligent communities that anyways I, I didn't need to say that i guess <laughs> yeah i mean it's difficult it's difficult because i don't want to look at it that way i i do hear what you're saying but i don't want to look at it like less intelligent i have a lot of people on the gun issue 
that have really strong opinions towards, uh, you know, gun rights and whatnot. But oh, they, I, I have strong opinions too about and, gun right. rights and, and not necessarily uh, left leaning, but, uh, but it, people do this tribal thing where they're like, my team believes this. So if I believe this one thing, I need to believe everything else because it's exactly. part of my identity. hundred percent. I mean, I, and this is a different note, but I've, I've been seeing a lot of posts by people that say they're trying to downplay the significance of COVID and they're saying, well, 10 million people have, or 10 million babies have been aborted this year alone. I'm like, first of all, where the hell are you getting that statistic? <laughs> Second of all, you know, I don't believe that statistic for one. Second of all, that is such a silly argument because they're trying because they they doubled down because initially the post that I would see was this is how many people die a year from flu, this is how many people die a year from from uh, abortion, and this is how many people that have died from COVID nineteen. Well, then we're like, yeah, but it's been a month, and you're you know <laughs> you know I mean, and we have no idea where we're where the numbers are going to get, and that's with social distancing. Yeah, you know what pisses me off the most about that whole uh comparative the comparative the people making those comparisons is that yeah these these things are unrelated and totally unrelated and and people don't and people always come a, a lot of people go to this point where they're like well they gave us this model and it was completely wrong well, no, over time we made changes and that's the, that's the function of a model. It shows you if things continue in a certain manner, this is what we're going to see. So we make changes. And of course, if, if those changes were at all related to the, to the end outcome, you're going to see a different result. It's like, right. and people don't understand what a model is. That's what a model is. Yeah, it's tough when the COVID shutdown stuff and the tribalism combined is creating this weird thing. Like I had mentioned before about who to blame. And it's just, that's really, is just people seeking a way to feel more comfort out of their frustration. But the reality is, is that it's either all of us are to blame or there's nobody one in particular to point at. I mean, there's so much preparation that could have been done. The, the you know, the employment department not updating their website and you had talked off air and I want you to elaborate a little bit on it about the program, the backend programming for the website for the employment department. And you had mentioned it, but we had to, um, this is the take two of this episode. So why don't you speak on that a little bit? Uh, so these employment department uh, backend um, databases were built on a archaic programming language called COBOL. And nobody has... I. I, when I, w I was in college, I took uh, some computer science classes and I know what COBOL was, but I was never even shown any lines of code. I was never, it was never shown what was, because it's not important. Nobody wants to use that anymore. So anybody that's in the industry that's got into the computer programming industry in the last 10 years doesn't have any familiarity with, with COBOL at all. It's been 20 years before any, at least 20 years since anybody learned COBOL in a classroom or educational setting. And uh, that's what all these frameworks, not just Oregon's, uh, many other uh, employment departments, webs or not websites, but their backend database structures are built on this programming language that people don't know how to change. And so if we want to increase our throughput in these databases, we need people to make changes to the code, which we can't without finding somebody we need to find some 60 year old 
computer programmer that has, hasn't done the work in 30 years to, to come back to work and help us. I, right. I can't imagine that being a fast or efficient process. So, and this is the thing we had talked about it a little bit off air too. The, the issue when it comes to government, you know, cause this is the Republican talking point too, about how like, Oh, this is how, do you want them running your healthcare? Look out there handling this unemployment situation. Well, the reason that they haven't updated their program isn't just because it was functioning fine. It's because funding, because they don't have the revenue, they don't have the revenue for their department because people are like, cut this, cut this, cut that. And then there's a pandemic and they're like, why can't they fix this? Because yeah, there was no investment in the infrastructure for decades. Exactly. So there was no motivation for it though. It's not like, it's not like there was, there was motivation for it and people were like, no way we're not spending money on that. There there wasn't a, like a dire need for it. There wasn't like, people weren't like, wow, we really should do something about this. Even the people that work at the employment department and have been handling claims for the past 15 years, they weren't like, wow, you know, we really need to do something. I'm sure they were frustrated with it at times in small doses, but like, they weren't like, well, we need to throw this out and restart. They weren't like, we need to, you know, it's, but now we have an incentive and we're like, that should have been done. Well, we would have had to have had a significant incentive to do it in the past. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately that's the, on the national level, that's the same way with, with Donald Trump and the, the gripe towards that is that he cut funding to the pandemic response team, you know, and then when it actually comes to fruition, a pandemic, we're sit here, we sit here holding the bag, like, Oh shit. You know, can, I saw can something I take in, a conservative libertarian uh, stance on this, not please, just for the sake of argument. Please do. Okay. So if the government's bad at handling things, right, the bad, the government's bad at providing services, right. And, and, and the libertarian or the free market capitalist would say, you know, who's good at handling customers needs is business, right? You would have to incentivize businesses to want to dole out unemployment, right? But then if, but that would be the unemployment money still comes from the government who would be overseeing these businesses, just like we have with the student loan servicers, right? right. So you put private and private businesses in front of, uh, uh, in charge of servicing loans and you have corruption because private businesses are, have a responsibility to their shareholders, not their clients, not their, um, customers. And it just doesn't work one way or the with, other. We see that with health insurance, yeah. you know, that, that the idea of health insurance is to not insure people. And you and I are going to talk because you openly, we've talked about this a lot. We're a supporter of Andrew Yang and you were all in on the, on the Yang train. And uh, we're going to talk about Yang and Bernie Sanders and, and the way that people have reacted when they step down. I know this is a weird segue, but, uh, one of the things with healthcare, it's like we see, we see privatized healthcare and how the whole idea is to not cover somebody. And this is why it stings. Well, so even it's more than that. It's not just the, and we have private um, healthcare institutions that are paid by these private uh, insurance companies. Right. And neither of them has, health in the, as the best benefit. If, None. if, if hospitals and healthcare providers main goal was health, they wouldn't, 
they would make different decisions about what solutions they were providing. But since the bottom line is keeping customers and making sure we have services we can provide, they're, they're incentivized financially to keep people sick or provide treatments instead of cures, right? Right, right. And not preventative. Because preventative, right. you know, because they want, they want you to need it, you know, I don't know. So it's anti, yeah. it's anti to the business to do preventative if you want to be providing services. You now, have to incentivize them somehow to want to keep people healthier. Andrew the only Yang, way to do that is, is to put everybody on the same payment, right? Single right. payer. So Andrew Yang supported a single payer option and he is probably, I mean, he's a Democrat, but he definitely has libertarian tendencies in a, in a, in a weird way. There, I had a guest recently. Humanity first. Yeah, I had a guest. It's, it's so funny, the terms. Uh, and I encourage anybody listening to go check it out. I interviewed a guy who ran for the Secretary of State for the Green Party. His name was Alan Zundel. And he ho- is a co-host of Oregon News and Views. Uh, and I had him on and he calls himself a self-proclaimed uh, socialist libertarian. And it's funny because to anybody, that's an oxymoron. It's but not, I think, though. I think it's so common. And I think someone like you, Taylor, fall into that area where you see benefits of just low, not low oversight, but low government intervention in our daily lives. Well, yeah, and, I didn't, and just because I took that tact in that, in, the, the, in that last little blurb doesn't mean that's where I sit. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that there's social safety nets. Like we're seeing um, typically self, like I know we're bouncing around, but typically self-employed people don't qualify for unemployment benefits because they don't pay into it, which I think is going to be changing. I think that that's going to be something just like social security that you're going to be taxed on it at the end of the year <coughs> or on your quarterlies, you know, when you, when you pay your, cause you have to. I think there's a better way to do it. Yeah, and that's going to be something that's going to be visited because this is going to be a fiasco where money is going to be paid to self-employed employees like me and you, but it's going to take a long time because there's no framework put in place because we haven't paid into it. Can you explain how that works just for somebody that's listening that might not understand how um, unemployment 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 even works? Yeah, so people, um, as an employer, I paid unemployment insurance for people and part of and also my employees paid unemployment insurance premiums through their paycheck as a percentage right and that goes into a fund to cover unemployment claims just like car insurance everybody pays insurance on their cars and it pays claims when somebody has an accident right so self-employed people don't pay into it no, because, there's no framework for that either. Right. And, that, and that's I, as a self-employed person, I can't take on, I can't just go apply for unemployment insurance coverage. Right. Normally. So under this, you can, and well, again, I can apply I'm, for unemployment benefits, but I can't employ apply for unemployment insurance. Oh, right. Well, I see what you're saying. There was no, there was no way for you to do it. Even if you wanted to, to have right. that safety net, Right. you know? And so, I mean, cause I think that, People are always like, why don't you just save money? And it's like, it's a lot easier to chip six, seven, eight dollars, you know, $40 a month or $40 a week or however much it is into this insurance. Well, that's insurance. not how insurance, insurance isn't a savings plan. 
Insurance is a pool of people paying in so that when one person has a, there's no problem paying that person's claim. Right. Right. If, 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 if they took just my yearly auto insurance uh, premiums and they put it in an account for me and I got in an accident with a, a brand new Tesla model X, uh, after being with the company for a year, I would have paid what $1,200. There wouldn't be any money in the account to pay for the damages I put on that model X. You know what I'm saying? The hundred thousand dollar vehicle. Exactly. Exactly. Let alone medical costs. So yeah, so that, that just isn't there. So, but there is benefits right now for people that are self-employed and we've, you know, I've already mentioned where to find more information as it's rolling out. I've been seeing, the date of April 18th is a day that they're supposed to be launching this PUA pandemic unemployment assistance for self-employed people. I don't know if that's, I've seen these dates and that date date isn't attached to somebody talking about the ability to make those payments or the ability to enroll these people in the system. They have that date is uh, talked about as this is, we expect you to be able to handle it by now. It doesn't mean that the people that are actually doing the work to pay people are going to have their, shit together sure it's a target date and we'll see i mean we're two days away from that i'm pretty optimistic that next week we'll start hearing stuff but it's so difficult for people whether you're self-employed or not that are trying to file for unemployment where you literally what the process has been is that you make your claim which i did mine on like the seventh or i did mine on the 21st 21st 22nd so you make your claim and then about you know a week and a half later you get an email that says we received your claim we'll call you and then that's all I've heard. So it, it, it leaves you in this really weird spot where you're like, because if you call, it's just a busy signal. And you had set off air that you think that they're just leaving it off the hook because there's nothing they can do. Look, if there's 10 or 15 people <laughs> available to make calls out of that Salem call center that they have for the Oregon Unemployment Department or the Oregon Employment Department, uh, if they were answering the phone just to tell people, look, we'll call you, they wouldn't have time to call people. Right. So if I was them or if I was the boss there, I would, I would just have that off the hook and I would be making the calls as I needed to make them. And I would have my team making calls out. I wouldn't have them doing inbound calls when there was that level of, there's only so much work that can be done by that set amount of people. Right. And so that's why I'm encouraging everybody to go to the Oregon employment department website and Facebook page, because it says right on there, like, don't call to check the status. We will contact you. And so the, what you need to do is you file a claim, you wait every Sunday, you give your, uh, work search. It's called a work search report, but as there's an option for this where you don't have to actually be looking for work because you're furloughed due to the COVID virus. Yeah, there's another setting too where you're temporarily temporary temporarily displaced. Right. And it but it ends up being the same function as you you're not actually required to look for work. You still have to fill out the form though. You still have to fill out the form every week. Yeah. And then last week there was an error where it said that there was no record of people at all. Like you know that they said there there's no reason for you to or no you basically just couldn't claim your week of benefits. So the round, the go around is that you could just do the old fashioned way and you call and they ask you the questions over the phone. And that's how I did mine. And it processed. I was able to check back later and, and they received. Wait, you got through to somebody? Not, no, no. It's like a weekly claim line. Oh what yes, I'm talking yes. About. Automated. You can, yeah. An automated, automated thing. And, and cause I've, when I was like 19 years old, I was on unemployment and that's the way you had to do it back in the days. You just had to call. 
were you able to accept the job last week? You know, yeah. <laughs> or whatever those recordings. And uh, that's how I did it 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. They're like, were you physically and mentally able to perform the work you sought last week? You know, and they word it in such a way that, not that you're lying, you're not lying to them, but like they word it in such a way that it makes it so dummy proof. But yet people are like, I, you know, I mean, you don't want to, you definitely do not want to lie to those. And that's why when you go right now, because this uh, COVID situation is, is different, when you go to the website, they explain to you how you're not lying, even though you're giving the answer. <laughs> yes. Every, when I applied last night, I applied backdated to like April 4th or April 5th or 2nd or whatever. Uh, and th- a lot of the questions I was like, what? And then there's a, there's like a line right above it. Look, this is what that means normally, but now it means this. Don't worry about it. And again, yeah, it's because of their back and their outdated software, you know, because yeah, they're they like, can't we're not, make updates. they don't have time to reprogram it. That's why I am optimistic, but I'm curious because to, as of today, uh, April 16th, there's an announcement on their website and on their Facebook page about PUA that I've mentioned before, pandemic unemployment assistance. And this is for self-employed people. And we're, we'll see how this gets. gig economy. Gig, yes. Yeah. And we'll see how this gets implemented because it's going to be with their existing program. So we'll see how it gets implemented if it's different verbiage or if the website just looks different. I don't, I mean, it's too bad that they don't have some Google ads on their website because they're definitely getting some revenue. Yeah. If they did, you know, I don't know if you can make pennies off of Google ads anymore, uh, which on my yeah. website, yes, if you, you notice, can. I'm going to weird segue, but if you're listening to this, make sure to go to strpod.com. Check out my website. There's very few Google ads. I decided that it's kind of over, overbearing to look at stupid ads. So I want to change gears. I want to talk a little bit more about Andrew Yang and Bernie Sanders and how the supporters of Bernie Sanders, like myself, are now in a situation where they actually are feeling some just desserts, so to speak. Because when Andrew Yang dropped out of the race, what was some of the, the reaction that you got? So uh, the reaction that I saw mm, as soon as Andrew Yang dropped, well, even before Andrew Yang dropped, Bernie Sanders, quote unquote, Bernie bros were like, you need to support Bernie. We supported Bernie. We supported Bernie. You need to support Bernie. If you're any kind of real human being, you're going to support Bernie, uh, blah, blah, blah. So Andrew Yang drops out. And people are like, okay, time to get on the Bernie train. And we're like, look, I need to grieve, first of all. Right. <laughs> first of all, I mean, I, I, I literally cried multiple times over a 24-hour period after he dropped out. Like, I, I had deep... Because uh, you grief. had that much there's, emotion there's stages. Invested, yes. Yeah, Yes, and, and, and that much belief in the... Not just the underlying tenets of his campaign, but the ability for it to actually get traction with more than just his subset of followers. So, th- and, and that was why I gave him more attention in the beginning before wholeheartedly uh, understanding and agreeing with some of his tenets. Uh, and it's, this, I, I assume I was a Bernie supporter in 2016. I think, you know, uh, but neither here nor there. Um, Bernie supporters feel feel the same way like they're like look this is my guy uh i believe wholeheartedly in what he's believing and anybody that says anything uh, otherwise that doesn't want to get behind us is evil right and we live in a in a society of people that 
where freedom is a tenant, right? Where people are allowed to make their own decisions, supposedly. They're allowed to come up with their own ideas and their own values, right? And we're supposed to respect other people's values to a certain extent. Uh, so we're not going to ha- be able to get everybody on the same page. So we've got to find common ground, right? And and so if your if your your views and outlooks and drive is completely polarizing, whether that polarization has been created by false media narratives or not, whether it's a real polarization or not, uh, the people are polarized. And and to be able to get people together, you got to ha- find enough places where you can have common ground, or at least talk about your uh, tenets or your ideals or your philosophies in a way that isn't off-putting and isn't as distracting to those that are unfamiliar or hold themselves in another ideological identity. So here's the thing though, that, that I, I just, this is where my frustration lies from either Yang, Bernie, whatever camp you fall in, you'll, you'll agree with, or at least hear me on this. When with Andrew Yang, some of the policies that he was about, uh, UBI, universal basic income, giving every American adult $1,000 a month, and it would be paid for by a small tax on uh, companies like Amazon, on transactions. And Google ads, Facebook ads. It's based on 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 whether the company company profits uh, off of consumers' data without the consumer receiving anything. Right. And so, uh, because data is where the money's at with everything. But you see how you see that how there's there's we 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 want to pay for this thing, or there's this thing that's going to cost money that's going to be really good for people, and here's how we pay for it really easily. Connected, right? right yeah, there. yeah. It's, oh, it's, it's right. It's right there, and right. there's no disconnect. There should not be a disconnect. So, so that's explained on how it's going to be paid for, and and we'll you know include Elizabeth Warren in the conversation. And then Bernie and Elizabeth Warren had presented ways to get a single payer system, Medicare for all, whatever. And they talked about how they were going to pay for it. And, right. they, and then even the Koch brothers had released, you know, something that basically said, no, this K-O-C-H, would actually be the cock bros. Yeah. Yeah. This would actually be more cost effective than the current system. I mean, they said that about Medicare yep. for all yep. and, and doing research on it. And yet how do you get past? So, so, okay. So I guess my questioning is that what happens is, when a candidate like Yang or Bernie, who a lot of people want to push the narrative that it's pie in the sky, that they have these attitudes and that it's not going to happen. And they're like, you have to go, this isn't the time to rock the boat. You have to go with the safe bet, Joe Biden. And we'll get to that in a minute. But when the time comes, when the candidates drop out, then people see, see these policies that are overwhelmingly you know, popular, more than you know, a dem- democratic number, like 60 to 75% of people support those ideas. And yet people won't take them serious. It's because the candidates are bought and paid for, which I believe- well, I, th- That's definitely a factor. But there's also, you, you said people won't, aren't taking them seriously. There's also the media narrative, first of all, and, there, and, and that's based on corporate interests, right? bought and paid for but there's also the there's there's narratives uh working in our polarized society that keep people from moving any direction on one issue because of how they feel on other issues right Right. oh yeah like single single issue voters basically single issue voters will (coughs) no longer be single issue voters pretty soon people that people that came over to the trump side from being uh a Democrat 
because they didn't feel like they're, they were being heard and they didn't feel like the false du duopoly uh, government was taking them seriously or was going to move anywhere, right? People went to Trump. But now a lot of those people that were like just barely over the hill that went for Trump are now like wholeheartedly like, I've found ways to accept all these things that uh, I didn't think of before. And now they wholeheartedly back those and they'll argue about it online when they don't even understand it. Right. Yeah. Cause there's so much of a push, you know, and I think you had mentioned it before. There's so much of a push like against Kate Brown for, you know, that there's this narrative that's just nonstop. And at a certain point, I mean, I think that that's what, you know, with Yang, it, it presented something new and I, and I think a lot of people that were in the Bernie camp were a little bit worried because they're like, oh, crap, here we go. We saw what happened in 2016. These people aren't going to be able to be persuaded and we need their support. So the, the tactic and the way they went about it, the way they went about recruitment in like the day, seconds after Yang had, had dropped out. And I can easily see this now because I see Because it happened to you Biden the same way. Did, yes, yes, how it happens, mm -hmm. you know. But so it's like, when the wounds are still fresh and basically, you know, Bernie people are like, you're, oh, this is your better, best hope left. A lot of this we're talking about is Twitter, but individually I got some of it from some friends of mine um, on Facebook and different places where I, I made some snide comment about Bernie when he dropped out. And I basically said, if you gloat about Bernie dropping out, I'll unfriend you. And then I just jokingly put, and in real life as well. And there was a few responses that I got where, there's so much layered stuff to it. There's yeah. so much behind it. It's not just that. It's like I am at this point in my life where I'm tired of people being assholes and telling me how to think. You know, yeah. so it's like when somebody's being a dick to me and I'm not being loud because I'm tired, then, and I'm not expressing every single time. Because if you call somebody out on everything that they do that it irritates you, then you're the asshole. <laughs> you know, so there's this weird balance where I'm just tired and I have to pick my battles, but I'm tired of being told that I'm wrong, you know, constantly about how, oh, Bernie's pie in the sky or Yang is pie in the sky. That shit's not realistic. So come and join well, you know, this, this viable candidate bullshit. And now well, we're stuck. Go ahead. It, 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 I, I understand. It's frustrating to think of viable candidate is what we need to. It, 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 it's tough to think about that because we feel like there's so much at stake and we want to see things go in a better direction, right? That's why Trump won. People wanted to see things go in a better direction, right? Whether that, whether that was going to culminate from what he was saying anyways is a moot point. People wanted a better direction. No they, no, they just want change. I mean, that's the thing that, you know, Obama inspired hope and change. And since to a lot of people, their healthcare caused under Obamacare caused some issues and some hiccups and it, it raised the rates for middle income and you know, people, which is so many people across the country. So it made it more challenging and hard to understand. So people got frustrated. So they wanted a change, but this time not with hope. They wanted somebody that was going to say, fuck it all. I'm going to burn it down. Well, I don't think those people didn't see hope. I think those people had hope in it. Uh, whether that's legitimate or whether it's fantasy or not, that they did have in hope. Obama. In Obama, you're saying? No, in Trump. In Trump, sure. But he yeah. was. Well, he was saying, dude, he was selling it. Okay, and in sales, it's not always about the facts; it's about emotions. And what he sold was 
look, we're going we're gonna to make the economy robust, that, which will make jobs come back. We're going to bring back these industries that have shut down, that have shuttered your communities. Right. And that you was haven't home. been heard. He, and then constantly said, like, for, you know, you've been ignored by the Pelosi's and the Schumer's and all those people and by Obama. You've been ignored. And yeah. I'm going to I, I for one I for one can fix it. Yeah. So yeah. now the Biden situation. So unfortunately, we're in a position now where we have to make a decision as Americans once we get to November. And if we can vote, if, if we I mean, in Oregon, we do mail in. And it's funny. Everybody have these, should be doing mail in. And that's something that right now, the best thing you can do is go and buy a, you know, a book of stamps from the website, from the USPS, United States Postal Service website, before it gets shut down. Because Donald Trump is literally trying to defund, not defund the post office. The post office you, pays... You, no, listen. The post office isn't having a, a fund crisis because it's not making the revenue it costs to provide the service they provide. They're having a revenue. Sh they're ha they're having a revenue shortfall because uh, Congress put into act um, legislation in the law that uh, the U.S. Postal Service needed to pre-fund for something like seventy-five years the retirement benefits that were going to be coming. Seventy-five years in the future retirement benefits, not over seventy-five years, but over a much, much, much shorter time period. So this false uh, line item on the budget that shouldn't be there to operate is dragging them down to the point where they're not going to be able to pay their bills because they are legally obligated to pay this first. Right. Anyway, that's a whole Did different you know issue. We, I, I, I mean, I've, I've read a little bit about it. And honestly, the Postal Service situation, I'm not super, super versed on yet. And that's a whole different issue that we'll have to address on the podcast later. Yeah, my the, brother the is a service. union steward for the post office. And I got, a perfect, I got a perfect guy that I could bring on. But anyway, back to what I was trying to say. In November, we're going to have to make a decision. We either are satisfied with this leadership skills of Donald Trump and the cabinet of you know, cast offs, basically the only people that yes, men that he still has because everybody <laughs> else McConnell Senate. Right. Well, yeah. And that's a whole other issue too, <laughs> but, but because he's fired everybody that spoke back to him, you know, and I mean, he's trying to remove even the, the guy that's running this, uh, Fauci or whatever it's, what's the guy's name? Fauci. Uh, anyway, so with Biden though, you know, we're all going to, as Democrats or people on the left, whatever you want to call us, we're going to have to come to terms with the fact that in November, we're going to have to support him because of the Supreme Court and because of other issues. And we learned our lesson from 2016 that a protest vote does nothing. But it's really, 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 really difficult. And this is where a lot of people went wrong with the Bernie camp um, or towards the Bernie camp, I guess. You know, people that supported Bernie where people were trying to address it. It's like now blue, you said blue no matter who. Now we're here. And it's like this shit has been rammed down our throats though and when it comes to biden now with accusations full-blown accusations of sexual assault i think it's really important for people to understand what that sounds like to a sexual assault victim when you overlook an allegation and so we have two candidates and it's once again lesser of two evils that are both being accused of rape at different points in their life and i don't know i don't know how i don't even know how to navigate this how to put a post on Facebook about Biden or for me to say that I endorse him because I might vote for him because those are my two cho choices. You know, what is the, 
South Park, a turd sandwich, and a yes. You know what's the other option? Well, and that's and and that's that's something else that I wanted to say uh, as well. Like, so Bernie Sanders' tenets, Medicare for all, which is a really poor way to talk about. It. That's a really bad branding. Uh, yeah. Medicare for all, but th- th- neither here nor there. His, his tenants are amazing. They could do a lot of good for the welfare. Not welfare is a bad branding word for the. Um, they would they would really uplift and support our working class right and our lower income indigent people right would and and rich people whatever companies would do better if these people were a bigger more active part of the economy but neither here nor there he did better and garnered a lot more support in 2016 because of the alternative right people it was like hillary or Bernie. Well, for sure, Bernie. I, li- I love Bernie. And then in 2018, 2019, this primary cycle, we had a, a lot more diversity in the crowd. Not, not pleasurable diversity, but we had more diversity in ideas, right? So there was a lot more people to pick from. So there was the support for Bernie was not as strong. If you would have had in 2016 Biden versus Bernie, Bernie wouldn't have had the traction that he had, whether he deserved it or not. I don't I just know. Don't think he I don't know. I mean, yeah, Biden, I think if Biden would have ran, you know, he was going through a lot. Biden had just lost his son. Yep. And uh, the good one. <laughs> and so, so and, and he was heartbroken and he was, he was not in a and mental he's spot. old as dirt and he, he knew his me- mental fa- and he knew his mental faculties were uh right. de- declining so now with biden i mean the thing is is that if a vote for biden in november is not a vote for biden a vote for biden is a vote for the democratic cabinet you know and we're or see- uh support to the democratic wing of congress or support of progressive ideals at least more than the alternative right and so that's this is where concessions come in and this is it's funny because you want to move the needle you got to do the best thing that'll move the needle right i've been told this over and over again that come november we're gonna have to make concessions and and you know i've had i've burnt some bridges with some friends that have been telling me this and it's kind of funny because even if I agree, it's about how they went about it. Cause there's a certain yeah. point where I'm like, just stop yelling at me. Yes. You know, you know, stop yelling at me and telling me how to think. Let me process this information. Even if I come to the same conclusion, if you were a dick to me in the process, then I don't care that you were right. That happened a lot to the Andrew Yang supporters. And a lot of the Andrew Yang supporters were independents. Sure. Uh, but uh, well, but to have the Bernie uh, uh, at least a cross section of the Bernie supporters go at them hard, not just like hey come over to our camp everything's great over here, but like fuck you you're an asshole if you don't fucking get over here and tow this line, and if you don't you're a horrible person. Well, right? and that's the I mean I felt some of the same from moderate Biden. people with Biden. You know yes. that they're just like I've been saying it from the gate that he's the only option, and I'm like no the only reason he's the only option is because the media flipped a switch and crowned him once they realized that that was the one that they were going to go with and actual public sentiment <laughs> like it, you, you can't dis you can't disregard the middle like you no. can't disregard that that fluctuating center like if you look at it like a scale like all the way republican all the way democrat 
there's this, there's a large portion of the country that is involved in this decision-making process that is in the center that has a huge, has a huge portion. And you can't just be like, well, get on board with our extreme, whether it's extreme or not, but that's the, that's the narrative. Get on board with our extreme shit. You can't expect to gain their trust. Just like Biden can't expect to get Bernie's crowd just because you know what I'm saying? Cause that's the party and that's what the party should do. Because the reason that people that supported Yang or the people that supported Bernie that may not have participated in the past in the two party system, they finally saw something. So they registered as a Democrat. A lot of the people that supported Bernie had never registered with the party, you know, and, and I'm sure that even more of a percentage of the Yang supporters are from different parties, you know? And, and so are from either third yes. party independent, yes. probably independent more often than not, which is a party of its own, but yeah, that gets murky. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Not really. It'd be nice if it'd be nice if it was not because I, I'm more independent than I still wouldn't register as an independent, but like, it would be nice if there was a third party, oh, 100%. Uh, you know, bringing reason to the discussion. If it was more than just if it was more than just this binary option, there would be actual real discussion about the the tenants right. and the fact the factors involved. Yeah, in so we got totally sidetracked from talking about unemployment and being self-employed. <laughs> Talk more, you know, fully about the election. I mean, ultimately, I think what's really important right now is take a step back from the political conversations have them but have an open mind and don't take things personal. Well, and look at the bigger and- picture. And take into account the actual system we reside in. Because if you disregard the system we reside in, you're not going to be able to make decisions that will execute actual change. If I'm, if I'm driving around using a map for Los Angeles, that brings a really good point and a good segue of how I'm going to wrap up this episode. Uh, I've got two guests coming up that I think are going to offer some really good perspective. So I'm going to be interviewing two local politicians. Okay. And the thing that we've learned from this national conversation is, is that there's only so much that you can do when you live in a state that your vote hasn't even been counted yet because it hasn't been cast in the primary. So all this Andrew Yang and Bernie, we, they were gone before we even had a chance to support them, you know? And so I have a guest coming on on Saturday that is uh, Willamette Lane in Springfield, Oregon. Willamette Lane board of directors chair uh, Chris Wig, and we're going to talk about the power of local politics. And then on Monday, I'm going to sit down once again with Doyle Canning, who is Oregon's fourth district candidate for Congress. And she's going to tell us about how she's campaigning uh, and doing canvassing online and how she's been kind of doing the work. She's never stopping. She's incredible. I like her. I like her. Do you know if you do you know if you have any uh, listeners uh, in the Clackamas or uh, in Multnomah and West uh, counties? Most of my listeners are in Eugene. Most of my listeners are in Eugene. Man, Heidi, Heidi, something, uh, Barones, Barones is running in Oregon District One for Congress, and I am a fan. She's not okay. the incumbent, well, but she's definitely we'll have to a look Democrat. That up. And, you know, for these people that are running, there's a lot of change that's coming to Oregon. And so for Oregon, it's really important that we kind of shut back in and and stop worrying so much about the national landscape. Let's worry about our state stuff. And we're seeing such a huge uh, focus on local government 
with the employment department and with Kate Brown and all these different things that I think it's really time for us to get more involved on the local level. Yeah. And that's the, you know, that, that's, that's what Bernie was saying for a long time. And that was, he's like, look, we need to, we're not going to fix anything by electing me. Sure. That'll help, but we need to down ballot, down ballot all the way down to the local city county commission. And that's why I watch you need to have the young Turks when there's an election going on. I don't watch them every night, but the young Turks talk about justice Democrats and justice Democrats are progressives that kind of fall in the Bernie Sanders camp. And there's a bunch of them. And like this woman that you're talking about, Multnomah County, I would imagine that she's probably falls in that camp. I mean, there's, there's, there's this, Look up Justice Democrats if you're listening to this, because there there's a lot of work that's being done. People like Ro Khanna, and Ro Khanna just introduced a bill, um, back to the federal national stuff to give two thousand dollars UBI Universal Basic Income until this pandemic is over to every every American. So I hear Calvin is is, is getting some. So yeah, so we're gonna get out of here so you can tend to your child doing the the Zoom recordings. But Taylor, hey, thanks for doing this. You know, even if it's just us bullshit and whatnot, I think people enjoy the content. This is going to be audio only, so there's no video. So if you're listening to this and you got all the way through it, there's no reason to search for the video and look at our ugly faces. I really appreciate you, Patty. Yeah, Rose. man, it's really cool. And we're going to get you in the studio for once and for all. And we'll actually have a, a face-to-face and whatnot. As soon as we roll out uh, legitimate testing, we will be able to get together. Right. So I'm going to end this with a song. This is a dear friend of mine. David Uberti, a.k.a. Edward Outward. This is his song with Crumble to Pieces. Taylor, thanks a lot. Thanks, Fatty. Crumble to pieces We hang on like leeches Extinguish existence Will surely teach us
Tschüss.